0: Well, happy New Year! Good morning. It is good to see everybody. Make sure you're in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter two. While you're turning there, uh, make sure also uh, the resolution cards. Claire, you're still passing them out, or are they somewhere in the back on the bulletin board? Make sure you fill that card out, um, because we're interested in looking at what you want to succeed at this year. I'm curious. No resolutions have never been a big thing to me because I'm a goal setter, but it's the same thing. Um, but I did put one that I want to try something this year. I want to, I was, made the girls laugh earlier. I want to try exercise. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I said, you know what, Mark, 2023. You should try it. And if you want to get crazy, can I just suggest one thing? If you could put another favorite verse on that card for us. You don't have to write the verse out, like John three sixteen. Just write it on there. We've run out of members' verses. We'd love to kind of renew that. And that would help. We could just go out and look at the bulletin board. Oh, yeah, that's their favorite verse. So I just want to throw that out there. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, um, I want to start in chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 5 together. And I... but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There is our text. Resolution, the title, Preach Jesus Christ. I also place this verse in the newsletter because I want this to begin to sink in. I would like for everyone in here to add this today. And I'm going to talk about the addition, this resolution edition today. It's very simple. It's a short sentence. You'll hear it quite a bit today. But let's talk about an expression. Have you ever heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome? It means different paths can lead us to the same goal. It means that there are multiple ways to reach the same outcome. If we were to place our focus on the doctrine of salvation in relation to this text, we would find that all the books of the Bible lead to Jesus Christ and him crucified as our Redeemer. Now, please note, there is only one way to God, right, and that is through his son Jesus. But what I'm talking about is the different books that lead to that same result. We're different people with different voices. We have different approaches. We might use different books when we're talking to another person, when we're presenting Christ, or more more so heralding Christ and his story. But we all desire the same outcome. We all would love to have the same results, and that is presenting Christ. Some of you may be going to John. Some of you may start in Ephesians. Some of you may start in Revelation. Again, these beautiful roads lead to that same result. I don't know. We just celebrated Christmas, the incarnation of Christ here. And I can't remember the author, and I don't remember exactly how he said it, but here's the concept in relation to all roads lead to Rome. Believers can place a manger on the hill of Golgotha. That's the hill where Jesus was crucified. You can place the manger there. You can also take the cross, and you can place it amongst the animals and stalls in Bethlehem. Because when you're preaching Jesus and him crucified, it's the whole thing. It's the whole story. So I want you to remember that. Different people, different voices, different approaches. 2023, I want to be a very good year. I was not happy, completely happy with myself for 2022. I could have done much better. Maybe you're saying the same thing. I want 2023 to be different, and I wanted to start with this. If you look at verse two, just look at verse two. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's my resolution that I added to my card. It's the resolution I started with when I was writing this sermon this is what I want for Pastor Mark Tanner this year. I don't know what you want, but I'm asking you to be open to adding this to your resolutions. But let's talk about what's happening in this text because it's extremely interesting, these five verses. The way, what Paul is saying is extremely interesting here. We have to understand that the Roman world at the time, okay, this is the Roman world at the time, orators or people who'd excelled in public speaking or rhetoric, rhetoric excuse me, were very, very popular, not so much in our culture today. Today, it's all about famous athletes or celebrities, such as movie stars, right, or famous musicians. Oh, who, you know, who are they supporting politically? Uh, What is their stance on this particular cause? What is their stance on this issue, you know? It's, It's like when people, when these people talk, the masses listen. And unfortunately, many fall in line with the opinions of those who hold a celebrity status. But in Paul's time, folks, in Paul's time, the orator, those who excelled at rhetoric and philosophy, were the celebrities. They were called sophists. I don't know if you've ever heard that word, sophists. Whether they were debating, Whether they were giving a speech, whether they were teaching, their skill set required them to be sharp, to use correct logic, to possess deep knowledge, use accurate verbiage, and of course, be passionate. Have passion in how they communicated. They could be speaking about the law, about politics, religion was huge, business. Many, many topics they could be speaking about. But these sophist folks were polished and very skilled speakers. They could persuade, even manipulate others through their words. Those who were very successful in this had followers. Today, our websites and our social media accounts, they have followers, right? But back then, they had literal followers, people, okay? These were students who wanted them to literally teach and disciple, not just listen, I want you to show me how you do that. So they would follow these sophists, they would pay them and the money was good. And obviously the more students they had, the more money they made. So they paid well for this instruction. Not only was what one said important, okay? Hear me now. Not only was what one said how it was said, okay? Style mattered, folks. Style mattered just as much as substance. We don't want to agree with that, but it's the truth. And back then, that was how it worked. That's why Paul is saying the things he's saying in the beginning of this chapter. So, when these sophists entered a new city or town, what they wanted to do was typically display uh, display their rhetorical abilities. (laughs) Come here, listen to me. Please take me in. Absorb me. They wanted to communicate, and they wanted to be persuasive in their speech, and one of the reasons is they wanted more followers. Again, more followers was more money. So they gained attention, which in turn attracted students, and you know the rest. So as Paul was entering Corinth, he may have known, and I think he did, he may have known that these people were expecting this kind of display impressing um, uh, people with flashy form, stylish speech, you know, impressing others. But Paul, he knew that being this kind of stylish speaker, impressing people, well, what could happen? Well, he'd be impressing people over communicating the gospel, and that's what drove Paul. He wanted to communicate the gospel. He did not want them to just stare at his aura, his presence, his flashiness, and take him in. He wanted the words to communicate. So Paul was speaking from the heart and through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the sophists were result-driven. They were result-driven, meaning they wanted to establish their credibility as an order. Listen to me speak. Hear me so you know how credible I am. Follow me, pay me, make me popular, make me huge. That was an orator, that was a public speaker. That was result driven. But Paul's focus was faithfully conveying the gospel message, which was relying on the Spirit's power to persuade and to transform people, not through his own personal rhetorical abilities. He was not interested in that. He wanted the results to be spirit driven. Those were the results he wanted. Paul was more of a herald. Hark the herald, angels sing, right? Herald angels delivering a message. Paul saw himself more as a herald. And this is not a word that sophists would want to uh, use to describe them, right? They would prefer to creative, creatively, excuse me, persuade others with their own message. I have a message. Let me speak. I created something. I need you to hear what I'm saying. And Paul describes his preaching again as a herald, one who faithfully announces what? Another's message. 1 Corinthians 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul did not want the people of Corinth of, of excuse me, to behold him as he spoke, but to behold the message that he spoke. He did not want them to look how how he presented the words, the words themselves. So as you can see, Paul was not looking to display eloquence or human wisdom. He only wanted to display the power of the Spirit at work within him as he proclaimed God's message. Excuse me. Now Paul talks about two things. Very practical things. Preaching Jesus and preaching him crucified. Now this is important for us Going into 2023, if you decide to add this resolution, knowing nothing except Christ, this is extremely important information. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are you prepared to declare the different things about Jesus? His grace, his mercy, how he handles controversy, healing, parables, how he dealt with the disciples, his love, I have a few. Declaring Jesus as God's incarnate son, God's son. John 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. I can present and declare to another person God's incarnate son. And I can build from that because I want to preach Jesus. You know what else I can declare? Him as Savior, Jesus as our only Savior, again, Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I can declare Jesus Christ as Savior. I could start there and preach Jesus. When you look at a tombstone, you see the birth date, you see the death date, that tiny dash, I think it should be much bigger because that dash represents what? Life, the life we lived. Jesus' life, he left it as an example. I can declare Jesus as our example, that he is our example. John 13, 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. I could start there. See, what I'm getting at, folks, is if someone sat down with you and asked, why in the world Do you love this Jesus character? Why do you go to church? Why do you worship Jesus? I'm asking you right now, are you locked and loaded in preparation to answer these questions? How are you going to present Jesus? Do you feel like, I'm going to hush, I'm going to let my pastor do it, or I'm going to call someone else and let them do it? Someone knows more than me. No, 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 no. In fear and trembling, we're going to present Christ. Are you prepared to present Christ to declare the things about Jesus? In other words, are you ready to know nothing except Jesus? See, we have to be prepared. We have to be ready to answer for why we believe what we believe and why we love who we love. But if you're going to tell others about Jesus, guess what? You have to know about him. Raise your hands. Who's ever heard of Romans Road? Not the little roads, but Romans Road. Okay, Romans Road, there's many verses you can use. You can use four verses, you can use six. I mean, you can go up to 12 verses. Romans Road, what that means is you take verses literally out of the book of Romans, again, a road to Jesus, and you can apply those in leading somebody to salvation as the Holy Spirit's working on them. You're doing nothing but presenting Christ. But you're giving these beautiful words from Scripture. I took eight verses, and I put them into a paragraph, something very com- comfortable for me to communicate. I'd like to share it with you. <clears throat> this is eight verses from Romans. Picture you and I having a conversation. You know, there is no unrighteous because all have sinned. And the wages of sin is death, but God gives us a gift the free gift of eternal life, and this through Jesus. And God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. There is no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. That's eight verses. I dismantled them and took parts that just flowed. And I could be in a conversation with somebody and I might not be able to recite this perfectly. Guess what? My verbiage might not be correct. I might stutter. I might have to pause. But guess what? I still am going to co-labor with my God because I want to know nothing except Jesus. If I am a Christian, my heart should be in tune, my eyes should be focused along with my heart, like I said, full focus on God. But I have to know him if I'm going to present him. So these are important things. See, Paul was intentional. Paul was purposeful. He was determined. He was resolute. Paul decided to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified when he entered Corinth, and he wanted the Spirit to bring the person to Christ, not his eloquent verbiage or performance. Never buy into a performance. I will safely tell you this, I feel safe saying this. I believe that the church today, not all of them, not all of them, but I believe a lot of churches today are heading in a bad direction under the performance making church a show. Style matters over substance in that situation. I watch my YouTube, trust me, I've seen them. I'm not coming at this without proof. I believe that we are losing the gospel message and returning it or replacing it with a show. I am not knocking the way the music's played. I'm not knocking the lighting. I'm not knocking the displays. What I have a problem with is when the style of it outdoes the substance. Because what are we to do? We are to preach Jesus. And Paul says to preach Christ crucified. Again, let me tell you 1 Corinthians two, 2. For I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, the death of Jesus on the cross is central to the Christian faith not to the left, it's not to the right. It's not oh yeah, there's that part too. It is central to the Christian faith. Redemption was achieved through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. So for a Christian, that theme, that topic, it is central. So I want to talk about his blood for a second. Cuz when you think of crucifixion, don't we think of the death? But the Bible talks about his blood constantly. I This is not part of my sermon. I just want to share this. When they crucify somebody, and listen, we're not going to argue the hands or the wrists, but when they drive nails through, okay, on the cross, they they leave some slack in the arms, and there's a purpose for that slack. When they nail the feet, and again, I don't want to get into an argument, whether they nail the feet to the sides of the cross or they do them on top of each other or turn one around, many theories, because here's the thing. I don't know if you know this, but Roman soldiers got very creative. They did crucifixions, by the thousands, and the soldiers decided to get very creative a lot of times on how they crucified people. But what happened was, with Jesus, they gave him room, his knees were bent, because see, they wanted him to be able, anybody crucified, to be able to push up and down, because here's the agonizing reality. If you're pushing up, because that's the only way to exhale, it's it's tough exhaling like that. When you push up, guess what hurts? The nails in the feet, agonizing you're pushing more blood out with the blood that's already coming out. So when you push up, you're feeling it. Oh, that hurts, right? So you're gonna let go, but then guess what hurts? Your hands, your wrists. Now you're bleeding more out of that because you're pulling. See, that's what the slack was for. It was agonizing in any position. There was no comfort in the middle. You were either pushing up or you were hanging. It was a horrible way to die. And what other people don't realize, because I'm talking about his blood, this is important, His back was torn open. His back was shredded, it was torn open. So can you imagine Jesus' back going up and down on that cross with that wood? Even more blood. So why am I talking about so much literal blood? Because that's what's being shed for you and I. What did his blood bring us? Why do we have to be so graphic, Pastor Mark? Because I want you to understand what his blood brought. Redemption. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. His blood, that is a horrible thought, thinking how much he's bleeding, brought us redemption. What else did his blood bring? Well, it brought us justification. Romans 5.9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God what else did his blood bring? His blood brought forgiveness. Hebrews nine twenty two. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What else did his blood bring us? Well, he brought us back to God. The blood of Jesus brought us back to God and made peace between us and Him. Colossians 1 19 and 20. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Any of these verses, these are all different roads. Hebrews, Ephesians, Romans, Colossians, these are different roads that lead to the same result, that bring us to the same outcome, and that's preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified. You can use any of these verses when you're talking with another person. If they say, why do you love Jesus? Why do I love Jesus? Do you know he hung on the cross and bled for me? He suffocated for me? He died for me? You have any idea what he went through? Let me tell you what his blood did for me, and you, boom, you go at it. But the point is, this takes us right back to our resolution, knowing nothing except Jesus and conversation and thought and study, our lives. Paul said, for I decided to know nothing. I just love that, I love that. Paul was determined, he was intentional in letting nothing deny or interfere with his resolution. Verse one talks about the testimony of God. That's why he was there. Verse two talks about knowing nothing except Jesus Christ. Verse four talks about the demonstration of the Spirit's power, not man's. Verse five talks about faith resting in the power of God. Again, not man's. Paul wanted to be spiritually led and spiritually empowered to present Christ, to herald that story because he wanted to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. You know, history has shown us, and you can argue this with me if you want, history has shown us that many Christian wives have led their husbands uh, to become uh, Christians. Many wives have led their husbands to the Lord in in another sense. Yes, Christian husbands have done the same, but I believe more wives have led more husbands. That's opinion. That's not scriptural. That's opinion. But the reason I say that in each and every case And I've looked it up. I've read some great stories. The key thing here is the woman who is willing to live what she believes. That is what led these husbands. When a woman or a wife there is willing to live what she believes. A lot of you have probably heard of Lee Strobel, famous author. His wonderful videos out called, like, The Case for Christ. I mean, we studied him in seminary. I have his videos. Um, Lee Strobel's wife was a Christian. (laughs) This is a joke. Don't give your time to this. Don't give your money to this. What? Lee Strobel was an atheist, folks. He sought out to research and investigate to prove her wrong. I'm going to prove my, wrong, my wife wrong. <laughs> this is ridiculous. In his investigation, in all his research, the evidence began to stack up. Not against Jesus, for Jesus. And he became a Christian, and he is a powerful instrument in the Christian community. He has done some really cool things. And there was a, it was funny because I, what leads me to that, there was a small group of men who were concluding their weekly Bible study, okay? And they got into a discussion about different Bible translations. One of them said, um, you know, I'm gonna stick with the old, good old King James Version. That's what I grew up with. That's what I know. That's what the first man said. I'll stick with it. The second man said, I can't understand that old English. I'm right there with him. I can't understand that old English. I, I love in it and, uh, New American Standard. That's the one I want to read, New American Standard Bible. All right, that's the second guy. The third guy was listening, and he, he was the most recent believer, the most recent person to this group. And he said, my favorite translation is my wife. Her life translated the gospel into a language I could understand. What a great testimony. Did you hear that? What a great testimony. Living out the word in a way that bears the fruitful salvation. She communicated the gospel to me. That struck me like a ton of bricks. Am I out there communicating the gospel? Am I I a living translation of the word? You know, mere intellectual persuasion does not save people. Anybody could be moved by the power of music in the background and someone screaming, Anybody can be moved by that. But mere intellectual persuasion does not save people, it doesn't stick. Saving faith is produced by the heart-changing power of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. You don't need to put your trust in an explanation. You don't need to put your trust in a performance. I started an apologetic Sunday school class years and years ago at our home church. And it was going very well. And I decided to sit in one Wednesday night because they did it on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And the teacher was skilled. Oh my goodness, he knew quite a bit. The problem was when I sat down, there were some new people and um, it was a fresh class. It wasn't, it wasn't like they'd been doing a series. And he started out with these old councils. These old, old councils where they met and well, the Gentiles should do this, the Jews should do this and, and I'm looking at these guys. He's using all these huge, huge words, these huge names and I'm like, my goodness, this is in depth. This is serious. And I'm looking at the faces, and I stop them. I said, hold a second. I said, do you guys, do you guys know about Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? And they like, no. I said, brother, you can't, you can't start with all this. You've you got to start with Jesus. You've got to present Jesus. And of course he did. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We get ahead of ourselves wanting to be the best speaker, wanting to be the best presenter. Look at me. Behold what I'm saying. And the truth is, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to herald the message, God's story. Here's a wonderful illustration. I've always liked this illustration. I hope you like it. Every believer has the God-given responsibility uh, to share the gospel with others. If you don't know that, we do. We may not all be evangelists, but Christ has given us a story to tell. There was a man who was mowing his yard, and he wanted to finish up before dinner. But a six-year-old son comes out, without even asking, comes and grabs the mower handle with his dad and wants to mow the yard. So the father lets go. He's chuckling inside. This is cute. So the kid's trying to push the mower. He can't push it. So the father says, you know what? I resisted the urge to say, you know what? Get out of the way, kid. Go back inside. Let me finish. Dinner's almost ready. So he grabbed the handle with his son, kind of spread his legs a little bit so they wouldn't collide, and they began to mow. And he's looking down as they're mowing and it's going much slower than it was before. Much less efficient now, mowing this yard. But as he was looking down, he began to tear up. His eyes began to tear up because he pictured his heavenly Father at work. It hit him that his heavenly Father was at work seeking and saving and transforming the lost. And there he was. With his tiny weak hands, this is the father now, the dad, with his tiny weak hands, helping. I'm going to help God. The heavenly father could do the work by himself. He doesn't need us. He chooses to gracefully allow us to co-labor with him. Why? For our sakes, because he wants to have us, or he wants to allow us, excuse me, to have the privilege of ministering with him, because we are all ministers of the word, all of us. You don't have to be a stand behind a pulpit to be a minister of the word. See, the opportunity is there and God is waiting for you. Picture that little kid pushing with his dad the mower. That's you and I co-laboring with God. That's the Holy Spirit working with us as we know nothing except Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. It's not your looks. It's not your words. It's not your performance. See, Paul depended on the Holy Spirit just like the son was depending on the father, to push that mower. It was not his experience. It was not Paul's ability that gave his ministry its power. It was the work of the Spirit of God. His preaching was a demonstration, not a performance. You've heard it said that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the ones that he calls. Scripture is full of people, of unqualified people that he has called. Folks, it's not about your words. It's not about your performance. It's not about your abilities. It is all about depending on the Holy Spirit's power as you demonstrate and herald the gospel message. This should be one of our resolutions for this year and every year that God allows us to continue living in this world. With every opportunity, with every encounter that is spirit-led, we should know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. We can be that gospel translation for another person, folks. We can be that gospel language that is understandable. We, too, can live out our lives in a way that bears fruitful salvation. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to be demonstrated in our lives and in our speech. It's not our performance. So what a resolution Think about it. What a resolution to be intentional about knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Brand new year. Today starts it off. This can be purposeful for us. We can stand resolute in this. But folks, we have to know him first personally. We have to know Jesus. We have to know why we love him, why we worship him. We have to understand Jesus crucified and what that means. Why? Because it's his story that we are relaying, that we are conveying, that we are heralding. We're not reinventing the wheel. It's his story that saved our very lives and now we want to present it to somebody else. Folks, you do not have to be the best speaker. Stutter, forget your words, pause, sweat. But know nothing except Jesus. That's what he's looking for. You are a co-laborer with God. You are not in this on your own. He didn't give this to his Bible and say, man, you're so good looking and you you got such a great education. Go out there and change lives. No, that is not what God is and that's not what he is about. So folks, please join me. Join me this year in putting this as a resolution to know nothing except Jesus so that we can preach Jesus and him crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we just wanna lift up all those, Father, that are ill. Father, we wanna lift up the families again, Father, that have lost. I wanna lift up our brother Bill, Father, who's, who's still healing, getting healthier, but he's sick, Father, at home. We pray for his return soon, Lord, we miss him. Father, I just ask now for every heart in this place, Father, online and in, in this building, Father, that's hearing this message, Father, that we grasp, we grasp the concept of knowing you and you alone. When we're in conversation with others, Father, whether a stranger or the family member, Father, that we are presenting, that we are heralding the story of Christ, spirit-filled, spirit-led. We are laboring with you. We are not alone in this. Father, please help us always remember that you are with us in all things. And what a year to start, Father. What a day to start knowing nothing except you. Father, I pray for each of us, each of us to boldly go out and present Christ in you crucified. Help us, Father, Father. There's so many beautiful paths. There's so many roads. There are so many ways to present you, Father. Just lead us. Lead us. What verse? What book of the Bible? Where do I go next? Father, let us communicate who you are and what you've done in the lives we live. Let us communicate that in a way, Father, that is understandable and approachable and welcoming. Help us be a difference, Father, in this world. I pray for this church to be impactful in this community. I pray for each individual member to be impactful, Father, in this church. Lord, we need you and we want to labor with you. Give us the heart and the desire for that, Father. Let us long for that. Help us know nothing except you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.